Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Thank you, Brother David Getsch, for a wonderful call to God in His providence. We went for a good long spell. Hey, Brother, to, to, at MacArthur, sim, a lot of similar things. And then the Lord began to manifest Himself in this way. We started trying to get on good talking terms with Him in repentance. Started trying to make things right and honor our wife so our prayer's not hindered, and the Lord began saving people. I had some fellows like Barney Bright and others come in. Brother Barney sent his greetings to everyone. He chose not to come. He came to freeway the other night and drove home in the fog, and the forecast is predicting fog up toward uh, Carthage, so he decided not to come tonight. This working of God... The flashpoint was two old praying women. They just would not give up on God. Now they give up on me and they justified that because I've been there preaching in and out of that little part of the world since 1974. I don't think I've changed anything a little more concentrated, Brother David, on God in his providence and his uh, workings of himself. But when the Lord began to work, one of the sisters' daughter, only daughter, overdosed on prescription drugs and died. My wife went into renal failure. They put a port in, started dialysis, and the doctor told me, don't expect her to live a long time. Whatever you're going to do with her, do it, because at her age, she will not live long going on dialysis. Then she got blood clots in both lungs. They dissolved those. And COVID-19 put her in the bed, bed fast. Now, if I'd have been God, I wouldn't have done those two old praying women like that. I'd have kept them up and bright and alert and good health. But God didn't do that. But the Lord God allowed the wicked man Cain to kill Abel. I wouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm just a thinking, some of you brethren think with me, I wonder if we'd have ever got the Hebrews out of Egypt would have been too easy on them. But God got them ready to get out of there. And so in this time in our life, the Lord has us prepared to honor him and glorify him and face whatever comes into our lives. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I wouldn't have you stand, but we just standing and had a good break. Verse 1, would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might bear well bear with him. Skip to verse 12. But what I do, that will I do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles deceitful workers, 
transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Pray with me. Lord, here's your choice. People come to hear from you tonight. Would you grant it to be so? You tell us you've chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. Stay faithful to yourself, we pray. Someone in our midst that's never bowed to you in repentance and faith, grant it to them tonight. To admit they're sinners, confess you as the Savior, and receive you, asking you to save them. You tell, you say, that person that's gripped in their heart, fearful of dying and going to the lake of fire, they'll call on your name, they'll be saved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to preach to you briefly. I do intend to be brief because usually pastors are very brief. Usually by now the last amen has been said and you're heading for your vehicles and here you are sitting before another preacher. But I'm reminded of something similar happened when we was on the mission field one night and it come my time to preach. And the pastor got up and he said, well, if you had rather be somewhere else, quietly excuse yourself. Now, this is what I think about the saints, my brother and sister. And I preach it. I've been in, bear with me in my folly. 44 states, Canada and Mexico, and 11 other preachers. You're part of the church family. They have a time set, a day and a time. They're meeting. Where had you rather be? Sometimes we pressed out of measure for whatever reason. But where had you rather be? That'll answer something for you. I'd like to preach to you on the simplicity in Christ in worship. As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Now this is applied to the false teachers. They're all around us at this present hour. They're subtle in their subtlety and they accommodate themselves to whatever's going on so they'll fit in and then you can fit in to the religious nonsense that's going on. They turn people's minds from the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. That's what happens. It's happening. That's what happened. He used Eve for an example. Satan beguiled her and turned her mind from the simplicity of it. She turned from her husband Adam and from her God to follow Satan. So your mind should be corrupted. So your thoughts should be turned from Christ. The simplicity of every thought being brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's brought in by the power of the Spirit and we're instructed into that by the word of God. Sometimes our minds is on something and we do a little neglect in our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's so with all of us. First of all, from the simplicity that's in Christ, that is our plans, our purposes, our desires, our mind matters. What we eat, what we drink, the clothes we put on, may it be all to the glory of God through a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, from the simple, single-hearted devotion to Christ, from personal, unmixed relationship with Him. The fear, Paul's fear was that their affections would be fixed on something else. Now, when I was a brand new Christian, communism was a very present threat. It still is. I have a good friend that's a communist. Uh, not a communist Christian from Russia. He says there's over 55,000 registered Russians in Dallas alone. That's not our problem. Muslims are buying in all across our land. That's not our problem. Our problem is we've made God mad. 
with our careless, loose living and our lack of commitment to him personally and to our church family corporately. We just got God. Hey, God met, and I preached this thing about God being angry at a big 4th of July rally. Shocked us all. Shocked me I'd be able to do that. I said, that's not our problem. Uh, radical Islamists living in our country is not our problem. The big problem is materialism. The television has tantalized us. Materialism has mesmerized us, and we lose that personal interrelationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little example of me. Now, I didn't drive all the way down here to tell them myself, but I guess I will. I was traveling and preaching almost to Phoenix, Arizona to be with Brother Glenn Ramey. I stopped off at a little roachy motel in Buckeye, Arizona. Somewhere around 3 a.m. I woke up. And this is what I thought. I believe it was the Lord. Somebody said, was it an audible voice? I said, it's much louder than that. <laughs> and I was before God. Sister Nita, I could honestly say my heart's not cold. But I could not honestly say my heart's hot. That left me somewhere between hot and cold, which is? Lukewarm. Now, brothers and sisters, this came to me from my great God. He said to me, again, it was not an audible voice, but it went to my spirit. I would that you was cold. And I eased out of bed and got down in the floor. I don't want to be cold toward God. None of us do. So let's maintain this intimate, close, personal relationship. Now I got my files in my books and I filed them back there, but I got the dispensations of the church uh, uh, time figured out by the letters to the churches. That don't work. It didn't work for me. I thought it would. But if we fit any church in the revelation, it's the Laodiceans. Our self, ego-inflated opinion of ourselves tells on us. And it comes time in our life when we need to trust God in these situations and the shame of our nakedness disappear. And man, what that fellow said when God moved on him and brought him down and raised him back up, and he said, the Lord rules in the affairs of men. No man can stay his hand or say, why doest thou thus? Here's the way it comes out of me. Why me, Lord? Why this now? You can stop any time. And that's all I'm going to tell them I'll sit tonight, I hope. The affections of our mind and heart can be turned from the unmixed devotion to Jesus Christ. We can be led to adopt the seductive ways of the world that produce loose living among the Greeks at Corinth. You there in chapter 11, turn a page or two to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 19. Again, thank ye that we accuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. But we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall not be found of you such as you would not. Now this reads like the good morning church news. Lest there be debates, envies, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swelling, tumults, 
unless when I come again my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they've committed. Those things get into church life. I was going to preach one night on spiritual fornication, and the Holy Ghost called me to zero in on the actual physical act, and it was in that church. And God caused those people to face it when the saints fell on their face and knees before God. They were like the Corinthians. They were so smug and so spiritual they could tolerate that kind of stuff in church life. What if Brother Russell said, now this is a list of sins in this church. Now next Sunday I'm going to start dealing with it. You'd be serious, wouldn't you? I hope you'd stay. I hope you'd come back. Some of y'all might not come back because you don't intend on repenting to start with. You're going to live it out and I hope you get by. That's not going to happen. Be sure your sins will find you out. Secondly, turn from the simplicity of his pure doctrine. Now, I'm not going to go into this tonight. I won't take it up in the morning. But by the mixture of philosophy, that boy, that's going on in church life. I can't go that, that, that way because it's such a prevalent thing in church life. The opinions of the religious world. There's a danger that our minds should be turned away from the bold and simple truths of this Holy Bible. People, now down here where we live, I'm not dismissing the work of the Holy Ghost, but down here where we live, this is Bible book, and to me, the conviction is the uh, uh, King James Version, this is our only guard against the apostasy of this hour. If we do not stick with the Holy Bible, what God has to say to us as a person, as a family, as a church, we'll go astray. You say, I won't. Do you remember what Peter said, though all suffer sake thee, not I? Right. That's in Luke. Matthew and Mark both record likewise they all said. Now I want to ask you for audience and participation. I'm not going to embarrass you by calling your name. How many of us have promised the Lord, I will not do that thing again and did? Well, it's at least three honest ones. The rest of y'all not being honest. How many of us have promised the Lord, I will do that thing, usually just before we go to sleep, and then didn't do it? Now, making a point, we're all in the same boat, people. Without the Holy Bible being brought to us by the power of the Spirit, I don't know which way we'd go. We are not that far removed from it ourselves. And I've been involved with this church since when? Back in the late 60s sometime. It's the Word of God, the simplicity of the Bible. We're going to see a, a result, what, what vain worship leads to, the leading indicators and the result in a minute. But next I want to go into the simplicity in worship. Now this is an open nerve in most places. The preachers preach not the Lord Jesus Christ, they preach themselves. And they have groomed and developed a congregation with faith in their faith. He's got faith in his preaching. The congregation has faith in their faith. And they come together and worship their worship. 
The reason I know it's so, just touch it, especially from the pulpit, Brother David. It's an open nerve. It's like sticking a toothpick down in a broken tooth. Now, what does that do? It causes the elect bride of Christ to humble down and say, Oh, God, help me. And it causes the apostates to rise up and foam at the mouth. I remember when they was ordaining me, old Brother Crow wept. I could feel his tears dropping on him. He wept. This is part of what he prayed. Oh, God, help this young man. Fill him with the Holy Ghost and power. A lot of places he goes and preaches, they will not love him and they will not receive it. Please help him, please. And he wept. And that old man knew some things. The people, that was a long, long time ago. And it had on our watch, where's old Paul Jordan there yet? On our watch, praying and reading and preaching the Bible, on our watch, the situation has progressively gotten worse and worse. And you youngins, I know this word I'm going to use is not correct English. It's American slang. Worser. It's worse, much worse, more worse. But it's getting worser. All we look around. Now that's for in the morning, if the Lord wills. The worship which Christ established was simple. What is it? The Father seeketh such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, a sovereign God searching for people to worship him is very well able to find us. Experiences differ. We've got a bunch of new converts. Some of them have come to the place in life. It happens to all of us to examine our experience. Experiences differ. Christ walked up to Matthew and said, follow me. That's his conversion experience. Saul of Tarsus had a blinding experience. Christ came and carried on a conversation with him. Experience is different, but the outcome is the same. Follow Christ. Be followers, disciples, learners. Now, I have quit asking people, especially in the Bible Belt, if they are Christian. Everybody's a Christian except what them what they mess with. I began asking people, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, my reason is this, and I've prayed about it a long time. An old boy may be really confused because of what's going on in church life. He may be really honestly confused about whether he's a Christian or not. But he ain't confused about whether or not he wants to follow Christ. She knows that. They know that. Followers of Christ, disciples, learners, following Christ. And that begins with the worship. Now, in con the worship that Christ established was simple and pure in contrast with the gorgeousness and corruption of the heathen worship and even with the impressive splendor of the Jewish temple service. He intended that it should be adapted to all lands, could be offered up to all classes of people in any location A pure worship. Brother Paul's been to places. I've been to places that had those big bamboo pipes split in two, some drove in the ground, them tied up there, three, three of those half bamboo poles. That's the pew. I said, brother, that don't look very comfortable to me. He said, oh, we'll only be here about three hours. <laughs> oh, we got it so bad in America. Poor pitiful us. In the summer, God would have to take away our memory of air condition before we could worship. 
And I remember preaching, some of you people know that, had a big old fan sitting back there and uh, probably cut out a hole and drawing the hot air through the building. And we worshiped, didn't we, sister? And we worshiped God and we left a purpose in our heart to live for God to his honor and glory. Talking about pure, simple, undivided worship. Claiming first the heart and then those simple living expressions as they show forth from the life of a person that has met and worshipped and leave to serve. Their worship, how easily this can be corrupted. Now, I promise you, and I'm going to do this, uh, and then we're going to quit. Mark chapter 7. I want to refer you to Mark 7, and we'll look at vain worship. The leading indicators because of what's going on. Vain Worship. The temptations were there to attempt to corrupt it by those that had been accustomed to the magnificence of temple worship. And they would suppose that the religion of the Messiah could be no less gorgeous than that which was designed to show forth his coming. Now I can prove that with this. Remember when the, where the uh, first Christians first met in Jerusalem? Solomon's porch. <laughs> now that didn't last long. But we just got this idea. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to save that for in the morning. Those of you that are here, maybe. All right. Mark 7, verse 6. And he, he, Christ, answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it? In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now that requires something. Next verse. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups. Now that's uh, their doings around the temple as part of their external observance. But it's not worship. I better save that for in the morning. Some of you visitors are good friends of mine. You might leave with your lip pushed out. Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things do you. Next, verse 9. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your own tradition. See the progressiveness here? Laying aside the Bible. We have our writings of men. That's our doctrine. These things we believe. And the Bible's laid aside. Then reject the Bible, the criticisms of the Bible, for their tradition and the commandments of men. Verse 10, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Here is the final product. Making the word of God of none effect. Through your tradition which you've delivered and many such like things you do. I met a fellow in the bank the other day in the church at very well. There's five churches in our area that have shut down. The Jews sold the synagogue to the Charismatics. 
the church is not doing well. So I asked the brother in the lobby of the bank. I said, how are you doing? Oh, doing, doing fine, good. I said, how's the church? And he said, well, you're bound to know we're not doing good. I brought up one little thing that's in the church that violates the Bible. He barked at me. He said, we know what's in the Bible. Full will you reject. Lay it aside, reject it, and make it of none effect. It don't matter what the Bible says. Now this last thing is a leading indicator of an occult turning you against your family, turning you against your mother and your daddy. Now if they're not Christians, you can't have real close fellowship with them, but you can't reject them and be right with God. That's the first commandment with a promise, people. Now, bigger is better, right? More people, bigger offering. Talk to Brother Barney about it. He was in a, a meeting. They had a business meeting at a big church. They said, now go out and enlist people to come in. And the time they go up, we can make payments on this. I said, and you sat there? And he said, boy, I didn't want to. But he finally got up and left. What I'm talking about is gain is godliness, right? No. More people is better worship. No. I don't know. What did you do with the scoreboard, brother? <laughs> I'm going to make a point. You ready? Yeah, I'm talking about how many people's here and how much money yeah. comes in. We started telling ourselves the truth. The numbers up, offerings up, we're doing pretty good, right? The numbers are down, the offerings are down, we're not doing so good. Vain worship. After the traditions of men. And people, it's going on. It's in our midst, it's happening all around us. I won't go into it tonight on the elaborate church buildings and all the paid performance. That's not worship. No, it's not worship. It's, it's what it is. Now, there are exceptions, but they are the exception. You may be in the exception. You may be one of the exceptions. But I hope these things does not fit us. Our family or our church life. Listen. Don't let anyone or anything come between you and Jesus Christ. If there's anyone or anything between you and Christ, that is your idol. That's what you worship. That's who you give yourself over to. A lot of young women have done that and violated their life, violated their conscience, violated their family values, violated the Bible and shamed the church. They let someone come between them and Jesus Christ. And that's Idolatry. Don't allow that. Don't do that. I asked Brother Barney a question in the big meeting. We have the incorruptible Word of God, right? Well, Paul said we're not of those that corrupt the Word of God. How could you corrupt the incorruptible Word of God? And I'm getting over into the end of the morning now, closing. Take part of it out. Add some in. Now, the Bible is incorruptible. But when you start adding and taking away, you have corrupted it. It's not inspired scripture to you anymore. It may have some things in there that's a myth or a fable. That's widespread. It didn't just start either. I remember that. 
long years ago. Now, be converted. How do you do that? If you're here without Jesus Christ, here's what you do. You admit you're a sinner. And you're going to die. And you're going to go to hell. They're going to pull you out of hell and you're going to bow before Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. And they're going to cast you into the lake of fire. Face it. That's what you've got ahead of you if you live without Jesus Christ. What do you do? Come to him like an humble, dependent child to a loving father. And that image of Christ, my brother David, is this. Humble, loving obedience to a faithful father. Now what Christ did, and we got this religious idea about the image of Christ standing in the bow of the boat commanding the elements. He did that. Walking around healing the sick, reading the dead. He did that. But the image we've been conformed to is loving obedience to a faithful father. I hope you do that. Let's pray together. What a great honor it is tonight to be with these people that love you. Come some a long way. Sit here a long time. Got a long way to go home. We pray. I pray that you minister to them and by the power of your spirit you rivet it to their soul and heart and mind that you are sufficient. Whatever comes in our lives, whatever happens to us, you're sufficient. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves. Who is sufficient for these things? But you are, and we thank you for it. Give Brother Lee wisdom as he passes us during this brief meeting. We'll give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me close with a prayer request. My daughter, my oldest daughter, who some of you know, used to play the piano a lot at Bentley. 59 years old, had a massive stroke. She's so gifted and talented and skilled with the piano. If you can hum a tune, she can play it. Any, any music, all she needs is the music. she look at it a little bit, play it right. The stroke hit her in the left side of her brain. That controls the right side of the body. It's dead. But it also controls your speech and your swallow. She's just now beginning to be able to swallow say a word. She cannot make conversation. And she cannot eat or swallow. My daughter, my oldest daughter, pray for her. We don't know what God's going to do, but we know what he can do. So we pray out of our infirmity. That's that verse 26. Our infirmity there is this infirm humanity that we pray out of. But excuse me, he said, Brother, I'll take you to the top of Humanity, that infirm humanity touches our prayer life. We don't know.